Hello, everyone listening and tuning in. I'm Jason Griwa, and welcome back to The Fresh Wire. Hope you're having a good morning, afternoon, day, evening, night, wherever you are, whoever you are, wherever you live. I appreciate you tuning in. Let's get right into whatever the heck's been going on in the past week in entertainment, technology, and everything in between. So, of course, we always have to start with the entertainment because it seems like that's some of the biggest news that's affecting the most amount of people. You know, gaming here and there. I mean, the new iPhone launch, of course, has been a huge ordeal. I'll get right into that in just a moment. But I do want to cover a little bit about what's been going on with the Writers Guild and the SAG-AFTRA strikes that have been going on. Uh, the Writers one specifically now exceeding four months. Uh, and I think the SAG-AFTRA one is nearing two months by the time I'm recording this. It is 10-12 p.m. September 12th, 2023. Otherwise known as the last podcast I'll be recording where I am 23 years old. Hallelujah. Um, so let's get right into it. So a little update first is that I covered that some entertainment community fund uh, distributed money uh, toward people, industry workers, involving the strike. Uh, it has hit over $6 million. I'm not sure what they said before, um, but it was probably a lower number, but now it has exceeded $6 million since May 1st. Fantastic. Fantastic deal. Um, I've said from the beginning, um, I am on the side of the writers and the actors in hopes that they get the deal that they deserve, that the deal, the deal that they pretty much want, um, and that I hope this gets resolved as soon as possible in regards to that. Um, if not, then so be it. Um, but I hope these people continue to get the support they deserve. Uh, speaking of some controversy, the Writers Guild of America is investigating a, quote, delayed and lower residual checks from studios to scribes. Now, residual checks are payments, sort of, for their shows and movies actually playing, um, I think, on, like, streaming services, these sort of services. Uh, apparently, the it's now being investigated that payments for these have been lower than expected and have been delayed uh, at times. Of course, uh, this is actually a pretty developing story uh, and an exclusive by Deadline. Uh, it was published this afternoon, so a lot of info. Some info may be missing. Uh, some studios declined to comment on the matter. That's interesting. Um, if, you're, if you know it's not your problem, admit it. Um, so that's interesting but this is a pretty big deal obviously if the money they're supposed to be getting even during the strike they're not getting or it's getting delayed or it's lower um you know that's obviously a really 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 big problem um and <laughs> i think these studios know how much of a problem these strikes are being on these studios because this article says that Warner Bros. Discovery sees earnings hit from strikes of up to $500 million. Now, what I read before was um, that some executive said, uh, I think it was an executive, maybe the CEO, said that they're expected to save, I think, $100 million or something. Uh, well, that's definitely changed. Um, they said on the 5th that they're expecting to 
have a hit of 300 to 500 million dollars in adjusted EBITDA. So that's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Wow, my English. Um, due to the war- work stoppages. Big deal. That's why I'm like hesitating. Whoops. The company raised its free cash flow expectations to at least $5 billion, and what probably helped is Barbie, um, which, don't worry, I definitely plan to see this week. I'm finally going to go for it. I know from the very beginning I said I really want to see it because the people saying it's woke made me more interested in seeing it. I will see it. That is definitely on my radar. Um, but, you know, this is obviously a big ordeal and companies are clearly getting screwed over by the strikes. Uh, at this point, I am pretty curious why they're really just waiting this out. They know it's not going to end well. I don't, I don't think it's going to end well. Um, if they continue to weigh it out because I'm starting to see, I think CBS, their hit fall show, it seems it's going to be, um, I've seen commercials for Yellowstone, which is what they call a Paramount Network original. I think Paramount Network is some sort of uh, channel, premium, uh, I think, cable channel of movies and originals and Paramount content. Um, But now it seems they're hyping it up as a chance to see from the very first episode. uh, And it might be their hit, (laughs) their hit fall show reruns. Um, I don't know if that's better or worse than a bunch of reality TV shows. Um, Unrelated, but it looks like from what I read, the people that are working on ridiculousness, uh, I think an MTV show, uh, I think filed for unionization. So they're going to be joining WGA East uh, from what I read just recently. So that's another big deal. And I I don't even need to, I don't even think I have to uh, say my stance on this. I've been saying it constantly. I've been say, I've been starting it off, I think, every week with my podcast. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, I will say a little bit of interesting stuff. I don't want to just keep it at union strike, union strike. Uh, Quentin Tarantino has said that he will have his self-declared, quote, final film in his hometown of Los Angeles, snarring over $20 million for number 10. I guess that's the tentative title. The Oscar winner was among 16 films conditionally approved for $77.8 million in total tax incentives by the California Film Commission. Tarantino said, I love shooting in California. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I can't wait for whatever that's going to be because I like a lot of Quentin Tarantino's films. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think that's one of my favorites. I saw that more than once in theaters. And overall, very good. Uh, I'm I'm excited to see what happens there. But yeah, I'm just going to end that segment there because... Very little has been going on with entertainment in general because of the strike. Uh, You don't really want to be supporting any of these. I heard something about the Drew Barrymore show that two people, uh, audience members, entered. One of them wore a pin of the WGA because I think people part of the WGA were picketing. It was a struck show. I think some representatives said it wasn't, but I think I know what side I prefer believing in. And they were told to leave. A later photo showed them donning WGA strike shirts cool um so a lot of a lot of sad uh unnecessary sad uh let's get into some maybe not sad if you're an apple fan the iphone 15 event happened this afternoon and it wasn't just iphone 15 there was of course the new apple watch 
Series 9, and the Ultra 2, but what everyone wants to know about is the iPhone 15. So some of the biggest announcements were, of course, that, hey, there's going to be an iPhone 15. No kidding. Uh, it's getting some features that were part of the iPhone 14 Pro and Pro Max, which includes the Dynamic Island, which is sort of this punch-out for the camera and other sensors that allow face ID and Memoji or whatever it is to function properly. It was, it's been part of the whole lineup, not Dynamic Island, but this sort of area for cameras and sensors. It was a notch until the 14 Pro where it became the Dynamic Island where it's just a punch out. Well, now it's coming to the iPhone 15. The 14 did not have it, the 15 does. So that's good, along with the processors that the iPhone 14 Pro had, which means, I guess, their idea of having their entry flagship model, I guess, be a year behind in processing power compared to their actual flagship, which is the iPhone 15 Pro and Pro Max. So I guess that's how it's going to be, because the iPhone 14 had the iPhone 13's processor, but I think a tiny bit better? I'm not sure. Well, the 14 Pro had a better processor. The 15 now has uh, the 14 Pro's processor. And the iPhone 15 Pro has a brand new processor, the, the A17 Pro chip. It's no longer like the A16 Bionic chip. I guess maybe next year the iPhone 16 will have the A17 Bionic chip or whatever the heck they call it. I have no idea. I am into Apple, but not in enough to own their devices. Outside of the 7th Gen iPod Touch. Respect. Um, besides that, not a whole lot of changes. They were hyping up the 48 megapixel main camera, which I think the iPhone 14 Pro also had. So that's a big step up, I guess. We live in uh, an age where a lot of even cheaper smartphones have very high megapixel cameras. High megapixels does not mean high quality, um, but it's good that the sort of technology that Apple is utilizing to take full advantage of this higher megapixel count will also go to the iPhone 15. It starts at 799, the larger 15 plus with a 6.7 inch display, smaller than the Samsung Galaxy Ultra options, I will say, starts at 899. And you can pre-order them September 15th. Hey, my birthday. They will begin shipping the week later. One big thing about the iPhone 15 Pro and Pro Max, the infamous mute switch is gone physically. They're replacing it with an action button, which you can have do multiple different things, whether it's you tap on it, um, hold it, I think double-click it. You can do a di ton of different things, including turning it back into a mute switch. So it's all part of the iPhone 15 Pro's new enhancements, which include a more efficient processor. And here's the kicker. Here's what I've been hyping up. This is a really big deal. The iPhone 15 and 15 Pro along with their larger counterparts, will replace the connector that these phones have. It, for a very long time, I think since the iPhone 5, over a decade ago, they've used Apple's proprietary lightning connector, which was nicer than the really big port that older iPhones used to use. And, of course, uh, to a degree, it was better than uh, micro USB, which phones android phones were using across the board in 2012 2013 it wasn't until around 2016 that android smartphones started to have the usb type c port 
then macbooks caught on with it the ipads did at, at least for the most part and now it's gone almost full circle because thanks to the european union mandating that USB-C be used in many different portable devices um, to minimize e-waste, Apple had no choice but to finally bring it over to their iPhone. Years in the making, they, get, they got to proudly proclaim that all of their other devices have had USB-C for years, which I saw some funny comments saying, they're making it seem like they created USB-C. And I kind of felt that. I watched most of the... Uh, reveal the whole launch event live. Um, and I did kind of feel that they were like, oh, USB-C, we've had it for a very long time, and now it's in the iPhone. You're welcome, America. But screw you, European Union. <laughs> it was They probably would have loved to have said that. Um, but pro-consumer, absolutely pro-consumer. Short-term, maybe it will create more e-waste, um, except for that I think... I, I, there's something I want to say later involving the old connector, but... Let's keep going um, with the iPhone reveal. You know, the Apple Watch Series 9 getting a performance boost. Yada, 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 yada. Uh, the Ultra 2 getting a small spec bump. <laughs> I mean, the Apple Watch Ultra was very expensive and very feature-packed for niche audiences. So, of course, the Ultra 2 is like, well, what else can we do? And they figured out a few things. A upgraded 3,000-nit display now, for context, that's, like, a lot. <laughs> I guess I don't really know how to explain that, but um, I think Samsung's flagship phones near 2,000 nits um, as of now. I think the newer iPhones uh, get to 3,000 or at least close to 3,000. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if they actually mentioned that. Um, but 3,000 nits, that's a lot. Uh, so is the price, $799 for the Ultra 2 with GPS and cellular connectivity. Um, something a little more uh, mainstream, uh, the USB-C connection was not in the AirPods Pro, is something I would have said yesterday. Today, that's no longer the case. Because the iPhone 15 is getting the USB-C port, so are AirPods Pro. Uh, not the Max. I don't know if the Max has USB-C, but... They're very expensive, so those are not, I don't think, mainstream. I'll say that. But the AirPod Pros have been around for a very long time, as far as I know, and they now very subtly mentioned, oh, by the way, AirPods Pro, now with USB-C as well, so you can charge them with your iPhone with ease. And I couldn't believe that they were so fast with introducing second-gen AirPods Pro that I had to look up, look it up, uh, the new page for it, and there it was... There's a little more to it. Um, it has the new, they call the H2 processor, which I guess will be more efficient, better at noise canceling, whatever. But they also said it's going to have ultra-low latency audio that's lossless with the Apple Vision Pro, thanks to this new H2 processor. Very interesting. The Apple Vision Pro is Apple's upcoming, I don't even know what to call it. They don't want to call it virtual reality have XR, mixed reality, whatever you call it. For the mainstream, I'll call it a VR headset, but it's a lot more than that. It looks like if you wear these AirPods Pro, the second gen with this processor, I guess you're going to get a more quality, immersive audio experience, which you probably want considering that headset costs $3,500. Woo! 
Uh, for context, Meta's upcoming Quest 3 headset costs 500 and has not even released yet. Obviously not as capable. I think the processor in the Vision Pro is like one you'd find in a the MacBook. <laughs> so I, I see why there's some price difference. But 3500 definitely for developers. Maybe I'll cover that as it gets closer to launch. It was not mentioned in today's um, event. Understandably, this is for the mainstream audiences, if you say. Shall you say, not people willing to put $3,500 into something that many people still don't have an equivalent to. They also talked a little bit about iOS 17, uh, Watch OS 10, Mac OS Sonoma, um, and the release dates. Very soon. If you're running an iPhone that's newer than... I think, I think if if you have the 10s or the XS or newer, uh, iOS 17 will be launching September 18th for the newer iPad owners. That's the same day for iPad OS 17 for people with uh, newer Apple Watch. Same thing. Mac OS Sonoma, however, will release September 26th. What I read is that that actually seems to be a few weeks earlier than um, Mac OS major releases normally release um which is pretty interesting but yeah and the last big thing was a new roadside assistance feature via satellite uh i don't know if this is exclusively for iphone 15 and 15 pro but it's and it should be also on the iphone 14 and 14 pro because those also have satellite connectivity uh in partnership with triple a Apple is expanding their emergency SOS feature to include roadside assistance. With the new feature, users can text roadside assistance to get help with a flat tire, a stuck vehicle, or more. And for the first two years with the iPhone 15, it's free to use. I think in their press conference, they said if you have a AAA membership, you can use that. And I guess if not, it's free for the first two years with your iPhone 15. I think that's what they meant. Um, if not... It might be that the satellite connectivity is free for the first two years and that you have to be either a membership, uh, either a member with AAA or I think something available separately for non-AAA members. I think it's the latter. Um, but yeah, um, and of course, there's a little update I just now caught. Apple's new USB-C iPhone cables and dongles are predictably expensive if you get a cable or wire from the original phone's manufacturer you're going to be paying a pretty penny for a wire that the company and you know for certain will work at least a-okay now of course it's going to be all uh, pretty pricey of a penny and of course if you're gonna be um if you're gonna be going all in with USB-C with these new iPhones with the new AirPods Pro, with the other devices Apple sells, don't forget, if you've got those old chargers and cables running around, donate them. If you've got a whole bunch of them, well, shelters, hospitals, schools, and many other organizations all welcome chargers and cables, maybe even phones if you're upgrading, uh, for donations. They're a hotly sought-after item for people there, and just putting it out there, you know, Make sure to give back to your local community every now and then. And if you're going to go all in on the iPhone 15, 15 Pro, new AirPods Pro, and now you have no longer a need for lightning cables, it might just be better to donate them rather than to try to sell them. That's that's just me, though. Um, just keep an eye out on your local 
retailer, maybe Best Buy and whatnot, and see what kind of programs they have. Who knows? Maybe even get something out of it, even if it's just feeling good. A little more on the iPhone 15. It's the first phone to almost support Qi 2 charging. So iPhones have had a pretty cool thing with MagSafe where you're able to just slap on a puck right onto the base center of your phone, or iPhone, and it just charges like that. Well, Qi 2 is kind of like that. Um, the iPhone 15 and 15 Pro are going to be the first phones to ship with the new magnetic wireless charging standards. They technically aren't Qi 2 certified yet, but as Qi 2 is, a, is an open standard... Uh, Android phone makers are expected to adopt it in the future. It's, you know, Qi wireless charging has been a thing for a very long time. Apple introduced the MagSafe to add on to it. Apple contributed its magnetic power profile, quote unquote, to the standard. And now, you know, you may see sort of MagSafe-like capabilities in your future Android smartphone if you are to own one. But otherwise, pretty cool situation. Uh, more compatibility for people, and I'm a fan of it. Especially if it gets into my next Android phone. I do not expect to have a smartphone that is Apple anytime soon. Sorry, y'all. A uh, big deal here is that for fans of the iPhone mini phones, whether it's the iPhone 12 mini or iPhone 13 mini, a little bad news. The mini is gone. Rest in peace. The new lineup now only consists of the following. The iPhone 15, the 15 Pro, 14, 13, and the third generation iPhone SE, which launched last year, which means if you want a small phone, well, you either get the 15 or 15 Pro, which is 6.1 inches. They've equaled out the sizes, although I think the 15 Pro is a tiny bit smaller because of smaller borders. And an or... The third generation iPhone SE, which is the cheapest, $429 it starts at. It released last year. It got all right reception, but it's very, it's getting more and more distant from current flagship iPhones, even compared to the 13, because it genuinely has a form factor from 2016, 2015. It, the last iPhone that looked like this SE that was flagship was the iPhone 8 which I think released 2018 or so. Um, but it sucks a little bit. I mean, 5.4-inch displays were have became the new norm for mini phones, which the 12 and 13 mini were. The 12 mini was not very well received, but the 13 mini improved a lot of problems. Unfortunately, by the time the 13 mini was prepared for release, Apple was already looking at the unfortunate reception to the 12 mini and was already preparing to kill it off for the 14. So the 13 mini was the last small iPhone, unfortunately. Uh, I knew, I have a close friend that has, I think it's the iPhone 12 mini. And admittedly, I mean, it's kind of jarring seeing it with how small it is compared to like today's modern Android. Well, I mean, Android as well, but iPhone flagship phones, it's noticeably smaller, but I mean, if people like that, I mean, it sucks that it didn't really catch on, uh, only getting like niche audiences and whatnot, but uh, I can definitely see why it existed, and it sucks that it doesn't exist now. Now, if you want a phone around that size uh, and you're open to Android, I recommend the Asus Zenfone 10. It's been getting some rave reviews for its small size, but 
very good capability, and it's on average cheaper than, I think, Samsung's flagship phones. So just putting that out there. Now we're moving on into gaming, but hold on. I'm still talking about the iPhone because Apple, when it comes to gaming, they want to let the world know, hey, we exist, and showed off some crazy-looking games. Uh, apparently, I'm just now finding out about this one. Um, not not the following. Uh, Resident Evil 4 Remake and Resident Evil Village were shown off, along with a few other games, including The Division Resurgence uh, and Assassin's Creed Mirage, which are all... Well, I don't know about the Division Resurgence, but Resident Evil and Assassin's Creed Mirage are going to be releasing on game consoles and PC. Well, Resident Evil has Assassin's Creed Mirage releases later this year, but they're all coming later this year and in early next year to iPhone 15 Pro. Its processor is extremely capable. It's even possible to run hardware-accelerated ray tracing. It's got a lot of technical know-how that I that got me interested, but definitely too specific for me to mention here. Um, just know it's an extremely capable processor, and it is pretty impressive how far ahead Apple is on some of their processors in their phones compared to what's available for Android, whether it's by Qualcomm with their Snapdragon processors or whoever competes with them. <laughs> I actually, I know they have a few competitors, but they're not, they're very not popular in the US. Maybe in like other continents they are, but Qualcomm, they really need to catch up because Apple just continues to dominate in terms of raw performance and energy efficiency. Seeing Resident Evil 4 Remake and Resident Evil Village run on that iPhone is insane. I'm just now finding out that Death Stranding, which was an extremely popular game by Hideo Kojima, um, that is so interesting and maybe a little confusing that I would just recommend to search it up in your free time. It's a lot, and there's a sequel on the way. It did eventually have an extend, uh, improved version for the PlayStation 5 uh, and PC, but it's it's... Full, fully a console game and for that to be releasing to be playable locally on an iPhone that is crazy to think about um, we you know sometimes I think gotcha games or roguelikes or MOBAs are like the big game to release on phones because they're catchy easy to play maybe not huge size but some people just want to play AAA games on their phone uh, locally so they don't have to worry about like bad internet connections Pretty impressive stuff. Um, really big win. And yeah. And of course you can use controllers. You probably have to use controller for these sort of games. I could not imagine console games this intense will be able to play with just a touchscreen. That's we're not there yet. Emphasis on yet. Another thing that's yet to happen is Starfield mod support, which the the dude behind it all, the Bethesda Game Studios game director, Todd Howard, says, don't worry, official mod support is on the way, and it's happening next year. It's in line with the team's uh, support for one of their earlier big-budget games, Fallout 4. Right now, some people have been able to figure out how to play, how to set up mods for Starfield. It's a huge game right now. Millions of people have gotten into it. Um, playing through it like crazy, it's instantly a hit. Um, and I applaud Bethesda Game Studios and Microsoft for making a game that is so uh, not well-received. I mean, critics do like it overall, but 
it definitely has its flaws. It's a Bethesda game through and through, and people have been making mods either way, but official support looks like will be coming pretty good stuff. I'm still in consideration for checking out Starfield. I think with a few more updates and maybe a sale, I'll get around to checking it out. What I'll also be checking out is, didn't think I'd be saying this, something involving The Sims. Uh, EA has said that their upcoming project, I don't remember how they said it, uh, Reen, R-E-N-E, their next-gen Sims project will be a free download. Quote, you will be able to join, play, and explore it without a subscription, core game purchase, or energy mechanics. Very interesting. They also said it will not replace The Sims, as The Sims uh, The Sims 4 specifically went free-to-play last year. Hop into that, get whatever um, packs or whatever to add content to The Sims 4, and just play to your heart's content. But this Project R-E-N-E will be separate to it to the point where they'll both coexist. Uh, it says, when Project R-E-N-E is ready and fully open to players... Uh, the quote that I said earlier. Uh, they said, We want playing to be super easy for you to invite or join friends and experience new features, stories, and challenges. EA says that, quote, We will, st- we will sell content and packs, much like The Sims 4, uh, unquote, uh, after packs. Um, but the overall structure and how things will be sold will be different um, in The Sims 4. For example, this EA has said this, For example, basic weather may be added to the core game for free for everybody. And in the future, a pack for purchase may be focused on winter sports with activities like ice dancing or a snowman building competition. It's important that with Project RENE, we lower barriers to play and give all players the broadest shared systems because that feels like the strongest foundation for us to grow, grow from, unquote. So... That's pretty interesting. Sims 4 is extremely popular. It continues to sell packs. It's free-to-play since last year. Um, So, of course, they said that they will continue to bring more exciting content to the Sims 4 community for the foreseeable year. No word on when this might launch. It's still in the early stages of development. I thought thought this was announced a while back. Maybe I'm wrong. Or maybe it's just taking its sweet time. EA says more details on the multiplayer component will be available later this year. So, pretty interesting stuff. I know my sister's really into The Sims, so this might be interesting for her. I mean, Sims 4 became free to play. This this new next-gen Sims project will also be free to download, and that'll be interesting to see how that plays out because Sims is such a highly recognizable uh, franchise. You really don't want to mess that up. Look what happened to Sim City. Oh, and I grew up with that as a kid. Very disappointing what happened with that franchise. Um, I'm also disappointed. See these transitions? I'm working on it. Uh, Unity. Uh, it's a game engine that is extremely popular for developing video games. Um, they recently put out a price increase plan um, where they said... All right, from this article I'm reading by Axios, they're, because this, if I did this podcast Tuesday morning... It would have a very different story than what I'm going to explain with Unity because they had a lot of developers pissed unbelievably because they Tuesday morning, the game engine developer said this new 
runtime fee is tied to the player's installations of a game, an action that previously didn't cost developers anything. With Unity's new plan, developers who use Unity's free tier of development services would owe Unity 20 cents per installation once their game hit thresholds of 200,000 downloads and earn $200,000 in revenue. Developers paying over $2,000 a year for a Unity Pro plan would have to hit higher thresholds and would be charged with lower fees. It would have been set to begin at the start of next year. Game developers rallying on X, formerly Twitter, began fuming immediately um, because if a game has a spike in installations due to a big sale, being part of a charity bundle, or just being on a service like Microsoft's Game Pass would trigger these annoying Unity fees. Uh, Innersloth Studios, or rather development studio Innersloth, which made the absolute massive hit among us, have said... Um, they use Unity to make their games. It would not only harm, uh, quote, this would harm not only us, but fellow game studios of all budgets and sizes. If this goes through, we delayed content and features our players actually want to port our game elsewhere, parentheses, as others are also considering, but many developers, one at the time, remains to do the same. Um, stop it, WTF, question mark, unquote. Uh, so yeah, very big deal. Um, so... Unity had to talk a little bit and clarify what they meant, um, and in one key case, alter what it has said about its around the fees. After initially saying that a player installing a game, deleting it, and installing it again would result in multiple fees, that's insane. Wow. They actually told Axios that installing a game, deleting it, and installing it again would result in more fees. That's... That's... My brain is empty trying to comprehend that. They have since told Axios that the company would actually only charge for an initial installation. A spokesperson told Axios that Unity had, regroup, quote, regrouped, unquote, to discuss the issue. That's, wow. I can't believe that was in consideration ever. He hoped this would allay fears of, quote, install bombing, where an angry user could keep deleting and reinstalling a game to rack up fees to punish a developer. Wow, I can't believe... I can't believe they considered that at all. They announced that? That's... Okay. I I don't want to rant too much. This is focused on uh, being informational with a little bit of... Um, they do say, but an extra fee will be charged if a user installs a game on a second device, say a Steam, de uh, Steam Deck after installing a game on... So if you have a PC and Valve's Steam Deck, which is a handheld PC of sorts that's more portable handheld gaming, think of it as a Nintendo Switch, but meant to run PC. Um, I guess if you install on both devices, that will count, but maybe there's something that's going to be kicked in with Unity where it'll be able to tell, oh, it's been installed on this computer. If it uninstall, if they uninstall and reinstall, it won't be like a brand new installation. I can't believe they thought that was fine as is. That's perplexing, to say the least. Runtime fees will not be charged for installations of game demos unless the demo is part of a download that includes the full game. So it was noted early access games would be charged for an installation. So if you offer a demo and it's part of the download that includes the full game, like a free-to-play game, and then you get uh, you later purchase access to like the full game, like a key or something that you redeem, that's like maybe the cost of the original game, then... Downloading that demo counts 
as installing it, even if that person never. Um, they also said games offered for charity or included in charities will be exempt from the. Okay, that's good. As for Game Pass and other subscription services, uh, the spokesperson said that developers like this, like the one mentioned in this article, would not be on the hook as the fees are charged to distributors, which in the Game Pass example. So this fee, if it's running through a subscription service, then that fee, that 20 cent fee, would go to Microsoft rather than the uh, runtime fees will also not be charged for installations of games. Um, it's estimated, the spokesperson said, it's estimated only about 10% of Unity's developers wind up having to pay any fees given the thresholds games need to hit. This is not good. Um, very interesting. I'm not a fan uh, of just more fees that were originally not necessary. Um, so, it, I, yeah. Oh, the spokesperson was a Unity executive, Mark Witten. Um, not a huge fan of fees that were not there before that they don't really specify as a need to have. Um, so, a little annoying. Uh, maybe they should just delay it? And I don't know. I mean, obviously adding fees, game developers will not want. <laughs> so, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to go to the game developers and ask, what do you guys want us to do? They'll just say, remove the fee. <laughs> so, I don't know how they'll play it from here. It looks like it's a little bit better because install bombing, I mean, that's something that was immediately probably is really stupid. Um, and I can't believe that was possible. And that they said at first, yeah, that can happen. That's... That's wrong. That's wrong. They really should have thought that over more. Uh, something that might not have to be thought over more because, it, in my opinion, it's a pretty possibly good idea. Uh, we're going now into the technology section. I had to focus on iPhone early on. It, it would have been part of this section, but we're going into tech, which will include a little bit of VR at the end. Uh, first off, a little bit on Lyft, the big old competitor to Uber to getting your rides, making some rides, hopefully having a good time, and Lyft now lets drivers prioritize matches with women and non-binary riders. It's a new feature called Women Plus Connect, designed to improve safety. It's launching in a few cities, including Chicago, Phoenix, San Diego, San Francisco, and San Jose, a lot of San Undertale. Um, the move is an effort, uh, so... The quote here is that it matches women and non-binary drivers with more women and non-binary riders in an effort to improve safety and encourage more women and non-binary drivers to work with the company. Um, it'll offer Lyft drivers an option to turn on a preference in the Lyft app to prioritize matches with other nearby women and non-binary riders. I'm saying it over and over. Uh, if no riders match that description or nearby, drivers will, be, will still be matched with men. So... There is that, but there will be, you know, you'll, you'll be showing that you have a preference. Um, on the writer side, writer side, women and non-binary writers will see an option to, quote, count me in in their Lyft app. Choosing this, according to a blog post from Lyft, will increase their chances of matching with women and non-binary drivers. I'm seeing this over and over and over again, but I hope you get what I mean. Uh, both writers and drivers will have the option to update their gender settings at any time to ensure it is reflective of their personal gender identity. Pretty good stuff. I support this. Um, and I accept it as something that I think makes sense to push forward to. Uh, competitor Uber has a similar feature for its women and non-binary drivers called Women Rider Preference, which launched in 2022. Um, so 
I guess Lyft was just behind on this. I don't really I, I use Lyft rather than Uber. I find it's a little cheaper on average than Uber. Um, so I try to use Lyft whenever I can. Um, so I didn't know that this was a feature in Uber, but it's pretty good that Lyft is now catching on with it. It's not launching nationwide just yet, not on our side. Uh, as I mentioned, it's launching in the cities I mentioned earlier, and the company says it's looking to roll out to more cities soon. Those in the launch cities can download the latest version of the Lyft app starting the 13th to access the feature. Um, if you want to be notified when it arrives in your city, you can go to lift.com slash women plus. It's the plus symbol. I wonder if I click on that, it's something easier. Nope. Yeah. Women plus the plus symbol. Okay, cool. Um, cool. I want to, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. If it continues to gain support, I think it will. It shouldn't really affect a whole lot of business. Um, and... Just kidding, going back a little bit uh, into gaming, just a little bit, but still techie. Uh, Google has started to test instantly playable online games on YouTube, limited to a uh, number, uh, select number of users. Um, reports in June circulated that Google, fresh off of its Stadia streaming flop, was continuing to look into incorporating playable online games into YouTube, highly, highly popular YouTube, and it looks like it underway. It's called Playables, uh, where you'll be able to instantly play online games via either YouTube's website or its mobile apps on iOS and Android. And it is confirmed that testing is live if you're part of the experiment. Um, it makes no mention, uh, Google made no mention of the games available as part of this round of testing. Um, but a Wall Street Journal report back in June suggested it would kick off with a title called Stack Bounce, a casual arcade game challenging players to smash horizontally stacked bricks with a ball. Um, that could provide an indication of what market Google is aiming for. Um, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, I'll be curious to see if it goes beyond sort of fast-paced mobile games that you play for a few seconds here and there to get something, to get the blood pumping. Um Maybe it's going to be larger titles, AAA games, no idea. I guess we'll see soon enough if it catches on. What should also catch on everywhere is a little interesting thing going on um, as we're nearing the end of 2023, uh, 2024, a big year for a lot of people, and it's one big word, politics. And Google is right on board with making sure uh, some very dangerous aspect of political ads gets disclaimers. Google has said they will require disclaimers for AI-generated political ads. Political advertisers must prominently disclose whether their ad uses AI starting in November. So advertisers must include a disclosure when an election ad features, quote, synthetic content that depicts, quote, realistic looking people or events ai has gotten pretty freaking scary uh, over the past several months and it completely makes sense why they are pushing for the prominent google says these types of ads must contain a disclaimer in a quote clear and conspicuous place noting that it will apply to images videos and audio content the labels will need to state things like quote this audio was computer generated or quote this image does not depict real vet uh, any Inconsequential tweaks, such as brightening an image, background edits, or removing red eye with AI will not require a label because 
those, if they're based on such already happening things, then of course it, that's not going to be as necessary. Background edits, that's pretty, that's been prominent in political ads for a very long time. Brightening an image, darkening an image, whether on purpose or on purpose in nefarious ways. I will definitely not explain what I've saw, what I've seen. It's way too political for this sort of podcast, but it's overall um, big win, um, big win for uh, people that care about uh, honesty. Um, and if you're curious, if you're wondering, oh, this probably isn't as big as a deal as you think, uh, definitely not the case. Some political campaigns actually already have been leveraging AI to create ads. I'm just going to take this paragraph from The Verge, great article, um, and what they've said. In April, the Republican National Committee released an attack ad containing AI-generated images that target President Joe Biden's bid for re-election. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis also released an attack ad that incorporates AI-generated images of Donald Trump and Anthony Fauci, the former chief medical advisor for the White House. I'm not going to explain those. You can definitely do your own research on that. Again, very political stuff. It's not the focus of the podcast. But it is something to keep in mind that there's a reason why this sort of disclaimer is going to be um, required starting in November, a year before the 2024 general election and months before any sort of primary, depending on the state you live in. Uh, going and keeping it up with AI, because there's always something weird with AI, the ghostwriter that made that really big song that featured Drake, but completely fake and then got taken down because of the, its intro being copyrighted and it, I don't think it ever came back up. Uh, it had massive potential for being something that disrupted the industry in ways that would have had everyone go into emergency mode. Um, well, that Ghostwriter is back. This time it features the AI-generated voices of Travis Scott and 21 Savage. The song titled Whiplash has been posted to X formerly known as Twitter, you know, one day, one day, I'll, hopefully I'll just call it X. Maybe the name will be reversed back to Twitter. I would much rather prefer that. But eventually, I'm going to have to move on. Is it today? I guess not. The ghostwriter leaves a note for the two artists at the very end. Um, okay, I'm going to read this here. So, quote, The future of music is here. Artists now have the ability to let their voice work for them without lifting a finger, the message reads. Quote, it's clear that people want this song. DM me on Instagram if you're interested in allowing me to release this record or if you'd like me to remove this post. Ghostwriter adds that if Travis, Scott, and 21 Savage allow the release of the song, Ghostwriter will direct royalties to them. TikTok has since removed the video, and it's unclear why. They have not, as far as I know, seen... Uh, as far as I know, it's unknown why they removed the song, but I think it's still on... X or Twitter.com. I could say Twitter.com because it's still Twitter.com. When I try to change Twitter to X and go to X.com, nothing loads properly. I haven't tried that recently. I'm trying not to use that social media platform as much. Uh, not a huge fan of Elon Musk, admittedly. But um, yeah, uh, this uh, AI generated music using other people's voices is very interesting. I don't think, I don't think people's voices are something you can even copyright or at least they're not copyrightable at the moment so putting them into the sort of ai generated music is a very big deal that i don't think anyone's prepared for and at this point i think i just have to say 
I'm a bit impressed that federal legislation still hasn't happened for anything regarding AI stuff. I think there was a safety accord that the White House put out and some states such as um, I think New York, maybe even California are starting to push forward AI related legislation. Um, but nothing federal as far as I know, which is pretty interesting. This is a very big deal that I think should be resolved as soon as possible um, because I don't know. Something's got to give, and I'm worried it's going to hurt the consumer. Um, what will not hurt the consumer is that later this year, Max, which is Warner Bros. Discovery streaming service, formerly known as HBO Max, formerly known as HBO Go, um, formerly known as HBO Now, I think, uh, rep reportedly make live sports free for a limited time. Um, Warner Bros. Discovery is hoping to attract more reviewers more viewers, sorry, by showing live basketball, baseball, and hockey games. It'll only be for a few months, as sources tell Bloomberg, it'll make viewers start paying in February or March next year. That's right around March Madness, so that's a good time to do that, I guess. Uh, Warner Bros. Discovery currently owns the media rights for several major sports, including NBA, MLB, and NHL, among others. Reportedly, they're considering using the March Madness college football. Oh, wow, college football. I mean, that the word's basketball. Sorry, so a lot of football has been happening past few weeks. If I had a sports podcast, it'd be a lot worse. Um, but I would also be able to explain a lot of things. Um, but March Madness college basketball games, as it airs on its linear linear TV channels, as a selling point, um, it matches that matches a report from CNBC that suggests Max will launch a new sports streaming tier around the same time MLB playoffs begin in October. Rooting for the Miami Marlins. Um, in addition, so yeah, it's just another service that's going to be kicking into high gear, offering live sports and other sports entertainment. Paramount Plus already does it with live football through CBS. Amazon Prime Video offers their Thursday night football. And Apple has their major league soccer season pass. Let's go enter Miami. Um, football and soccer is on Peacock and ESPN Plus offered by Disney. Let's go Miami Dolphins, Miami Heat, and Florida Panthers. Now you know the teams I root for. Um, and I just wanted to throw this in a little bit there because it's very interesting. Uh, Hyundai Pay is the latest effort by car companies to make in-car payments a thing. Ha 2024 Hyundai Kona owners will be able to pay for parking at 6,000 locations directly from their infotainment screens. I don't know if I'm a huge fan of this. If you're going to buy something, maybe just do it through your phone. It's cool that it's part of the car, but that is another payment service that you'll be adding your card to. And you never know the safety and security of these cars. I mean, Hyundai, I think they were just... Hyundai and Kia just recently got in a big fiasco where their cars, I think before 2021 models, were able to be easily <laughs> stolen. It was like a huge like multi-million dollar problem. And now I guess they're so certain that their security has gotten better since then that they're going to introduce being able to pay for stuff with your car. Um, personal details are kept secure using tokenization, which replaces card account details with a unique digital identifier or token that Hyundai says keeps data safe. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's launching with the 2024 Hyundai Kona, but nine other models are expected to get the feature through over-the-air software updates or model year changeovers. The automaker's electric vehicles will get in-car payment features unique to their lineup. Um, okay. Uh, for comparison, 
General Motors launched its own in-car shopping app called Marketplace in the hopes that customers would use it to buy gas, coffee, parking, or even make restaurant reservations. But GM ended up shuttering it, blaming a third-party software supplier. So this isn't the first time something like this has happened, but the first time it happened was has already been shut down. So not a good sign. It'll be curious to see how that goes. Uh, and if it catches on, I don't know if it should. I don't know if it should. I guess I'll just leave it there. And a little bit of VR, finally. A little bit of VR news. Um, the MetaQuest has uh, the VR headset, MetaQuest 2 and the Pro model. And in anticipation of the upcoming Quest 3, they're starting to get features that I think make more sense to have. Um, and this is a good one. Uh, Meta is adding new customization options to its avatar creator, allowing you to better fine-tune your avatar. I remember when I got the MetaQuest 2 back in 2021, it was very pretty limiting, uh, more limiting than I anticipated on making my avatar how I want it to be. The clothing options were pretty limited, uh, changing up the face, the body, not as much of an extent as I was hoping it would be. Um, but it has since changed. They've added a bunch of stuff. It's been rehauled, I think, more than once. And part of an upcoming update is that it will go even further. You'll be able to, quote, fine-tune things like your hair and eyebrow color, more accurately adjust your skin tone, add makeup and face paint, and otherwise make your VR persona better reflect how you see yourself IRL in real life. This is according to a Monday blog post from Meta. Monday being September 11th, in this case. Um, so the update is being soon rolled out, I think. Um, rolling out to everyone soon. Uh, so it seems like Meta's avatars are about to get pretty better. Good better. We'll just say that. Um, now, this could all be on the cusp of really big updates. The MetaConnect event happening September 27th and 28th, officially... Later this month, about a little over two weeks, um, it's already known the Quest 3 will be there. Maybe some info on a mobile version of Meta's Horizon Worlds, which is their Metaverse attempt that's currently, I think, exclusive to the VR headsets. I think Oculus ones, Oculus being Meta, Quest, and whatnot. Um, so that's pretty good and stuff, and I uh, can't wait to see how that goes. Pretty excited. Uh, I hope it reignites interest in VR headsets. I think they're really cool things. Maybe not mainstream material, but it'll be interesting to see how they go years from now. A little double-decker of Futurology. We'll be ending it off for today's podcast as I near <laughs> almost an hour. Um, Toyota unveils an out-of-this-world lunar cruise vehicle. Quote, a significant step towards the moon and a greener Earth. Um... JAXA and Toyota signed an agreement to work together on a crewed uh, lunar rover ready for the late 2020s. I think I read, yeah, sometime in 2029 when it's hoped a Japanese astronaut will be posted at the Gateway Lunar Space Station. Concept uh, concept images making the rounds. I'm seeing one here. Looks pretty interesting. Toyota, when they say let's go places, they really meant it. Um, the manned lunar Rover expected to head to the moon sometime, like I said, 2029, by the end of the decade, it seems. Um, so, <laughs> with gas stations difficult to come by on the moon, the idea is to use regenerative cell technology for energy creation with a goal of one day using the moon's water ice as an energy source. Toyota has said solar energy and water will produce hydrogen oxygen via electrolysis in daylight hours 
and the fuel cell will provide power in the 14-day lunar nights. Okay. Pretty interesting stuff. You can carry two people for up to 42 days, while the vehicle itself can remain usable for a decade. All right. I mean, sounds like what a car should be like. It's from Toyota, so it makes sense. Um, okay. Uh, pretty good stuff. And I can't wait to see how that plays out. Uh, I will definitely keep up to date with that. Just as I will about this sort of thing that's pretty ambitious. Florida's Babcock Ranch was built to survive a storm. Hurricane Ian was the town's first test. Incredibly, the community weathered the storm, emerging almost the sort of idea that um, towns running off of you know solar solar energy grids, and as a result, if hurricanes or natural disasters hit them, you know ones that may cause catastrophic flooding and whatnot. Uh, Hurricane Ian was a Category Four storm that hit Florida a little under a year ago today it knocked out power to more than four million people but this town looks like they withstood it pretty well um and it's overall pretty impressive and i gotta say something like this town you know other cities should look up to it it's florida's first hurricane proof town and it looks like they got through very well and I hope other towns, maybe smaller ones for now, look at this and see maybe, just maybe, we should consider what they're doing. Solar power is fantastic. Renewable resources, you got to love it. So that'll be it for me. Uh, thank you all for tuning in for The Fresh Wire. And I really appreciate everyone tuning in and listening through. It really means a lot to know that someone out there is tuning in and getting their news or at least a different perspective on some things in the world of entertainment tech and everything in between so i hope you enjoy and keep an eye out every tuesday evening night or so the next episode releases um so you'll probably be able to tune in starting wednesdays and with that that'll be it for me thank you all again i really appreciate it and i will see you all in the next episode until then, take care of yourselves and have a good one. Peace.